welcome to Gender Troubles. I'm always excited when we have a new guest, and today we have Tyler Connolly, and we're going to talk about something that's very personal to me, which is homosexuality and the Bible. And what does the Bible really say about it? So I could speak from an experience that I had. When we moved here, my family and I, we got saved. We moved here in a school bus. And we came to know the Lord, and we were, uh, and it changed our lives. And from kind of hippies living in a school bus, we became uh, involved in the community and started several businesses. And we did well, and we loved our church family, and it became the center of our lives. And then after our kids left home, and I sold one of my businesses that took up all my time. Then an issue that had always been troubling me from the time I was a child was gender issues, and I realized I had to do something about it. And so I spent actually two years studying about what the Bible said about uh, homosexuality and being transgender. And at the end of that study, I came out of that feeling that God loved me just like I am. But the People that I knew, and I knew the church community here, I mean, many, many, many people in the church community. I was very active in many roles, and I was pretty much universally shunned by everybody I knew. I mean, they turned their carts around at Walmart when they'd see me, and it was... I could say it was devastating, it was difficult. I had a, a very difficult time and the one thing that stayed with me, and I was very tempted to throw the baby out with the bath. In other words, to tell Christianity to just go fly a kite. But I have to say I kept Jesus in my heart, and I still love Jesus as much as I ever have. I mean, Jesus is, is the center of my life. And so we're going to talk about that. And so I have... Reverend Tyler Connolly, who wrote a book called The Children Are Free, Re-Examining the Biblical Evidence on Same-Sex Relationships. And um, so we're very excited about this program. And Tyler, go ahead. Thank you, Susan. And um, first, I just wanted to say that I'm sorry that you had that experience. I know that too many of our LGBTQ sisters and brothers have had similar experiences. And I think that we as Christians, I'm a minister in the United Church of Christ, that we need to confess our sins of the past and the ways that we have hurt and harmed LGBTQ people. I am sorry that you had that experience. and um, I, uh, I got past it, <laughs> but it was hard for a while. Yeah. But let's talk about the Bible. Yes, let's, let's do. Yeah. And we were talking the other day, and, and I read your book, and I read your book to the point where it's actually falling apart. <laughs> so there are, like, the LGBT people call them clobber passages because there's passages in the Bible that are used to say that same-sex relationships are somehow an abomination. Mm-hmm. And so whether is that true or not? And I know when you were talking about it, you wanted to start... Besides the more well-known clobber passages, you were going to start with uh, Genesis 2? Yes. Okay, I'm yeah. like to hear that. In our book, we cover six clobber passages, and one of the ones that we don't cover is the Genesis story. And I think if I were going to do a second edition, I would 
include the Genesis story because I think it's so important. And, you know, for a lot of these clobber passages, this is true for like um, Genesis chapter 19, which is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's true for Genesis 2. I think a lot of the people who use the Bible to clobber gay and lesbian people are people who haven't necessarily read the Bible. And, you know, if you read Genesis chapter 19, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's very clear that it's not about gay sex. It's about not being welcoming of strangers. And I think that the same is true when you read Genesis chapter 2. That story, it's one of my favorite Bible stories. And part of why I love it is because God is so funny in this story. In Genesis 2, God makes the first human. And Adam means human. It's not a name. It's just the human. And God makes the first human. And then God says, you know, it's not right for the human to be alone. And so what does God do? God makes a bunch of animals. And so God says, well, it's not right for the human to be alone. So I'll make a kitty cat. And God brings the cat to the human and the human says, oh, that's a cat. And it's really nice. But, you know, it's so independent. Like, I don't think that it would be a companion for me. And then God makes the dog. And the human's like, I love dogs and I love how they worship me, but it's not a companion for me. And God makes all of the animals and, and finds that none of them are a companion for the human. And then the story tells us that God took the side of the human and we translate the King James version translated that as rib. And so ever since then, we've always, you know, been counting men's ribs to see if they have fewer <laughs> yeah. ribs than women. Well, we actually have the same number. <laughs> yes. So. <laughs> but it's really the word is side. It's like the God split the human in half. And, and I think about like the Greek, the original, the Greek myth of, of the original humans and how there were, there were humans with four arms and four legs and two heads. And then the God split them in half. And so God splits the human in half and makes another human. And then Adam, the first human says, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And there's some things that I love about that story. One is it matches my own experience. I know that when I was dating, like I was like, you know, this guy is nice, but wow, is he a peacock? He's just like, or this guy's nice, but boy, howdy, he's a pig. And, you know, and then suddenly when Rob came along, my husband, I was like, this one, this is it. This is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. You know, that, that experience of, wow, this is the one. I think a lot of us can, can relate to that experience. But also I think, you know, this story tells us that humans need other humans. That's, that's what we need, that cats and dogs and elephants and all of creation are wonderful. But for companionship, we need other people. And, and then we take this passage and we say, well, except for those people, because right. they're attracted to the wrong gender, they're, they're not allowed to have companionship. Or worse, like you experienced, we have people who say, yes, and because of this passage, I will cut you out of my life. You cannot have my companionship. And we throw children out of families. You know, 40% of homeless youth are gay and lesbian and bisexual and transgender. People who have taken this passage and completely twisted it on its head and have changed it to, 
to say that now certain people don't deserve companionship and they don't deserve family and they don't deserve my family. And yet it's exactly the opposite of that, what it says. Well, and one of the, I think that the thinking is that somehow we chose to be different. And I know, speaking for myself, that I never felt like other boys. I never felt like I fit anywhere. And I remember my whole life doing everything I could to try to belong. But there was always this part of me that said, that's not right. I'm not a man. I'm mm-hmm. not a boy. I always felt that. No matter how hard I would try, it would always feel like, well, this isn't it. This isn't working for me. And so, and then of course now with modern science, we all know that nobody chooses to be gay or nobody chooses to be transgender. Right. You know, transgender and gay people have been around, well, since the beginning of recorded history. I mean, since we even know there's been, you know, it's always been a part of our, I guess, our gene pool or whatever. It's it's something that God designed into the system, mm-hmm. I think, to... I think to make life more diverse and interesting and and exciting. And so, yeah, it's hard to get there. But after a while, you sort of are glad who you are. Yeah. Are there any of the clever passages that you particularly struggled with at one time? Actually, I've gone over them so much, but can we just, uh, you probably have them all memorized, right? Because <laughs> I'll have to, I'll you know, have to look in here. You know, and one I, of the things about being gay and Christian in our culture is that you kind of have to know these passages <laughs> because they're used so often against you. So whereas, you know, some people will, who maybe this isn't their big issue, don't know, and maybe even don't even know that there are only six those of us who are gay and lesbian and bisexual and transgender find ourselves confronted with these passages on a regular basis. Yeah, the one that always gets thrown up to me more than any is in Leviticus, mm-hmm. where it says, do not lie with men as you would with women. And I always deal with that because it was a, it was part of a long list of things to do and, and don't do and Somehow, I, I'm not sure how many are on list, 26 items or something like that. It was a fairly long list, and, mm-hmm. and it's about the only one that people pay attention to on the entire list. It's, uh, you know, the, the things about don't wear clothes made out of two different fabrics, so that means, you know, a Christian should not be wearing a polyester, cotton polyester shirt, or they accidentally touched a woman that was menstruating, then they would have to be stoned to death. And if a teenager talks back to you, you stone them to death. And everybody ignores those things. But when it comes to this one passage, but that one, we were going to pay attention to that one. And I just find that arbitrariness to be, aren't they seeing the arbitrariness of it? (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, that's that's one that always gets me. And the word abomination, people throw that out. So if you could kind of, where does that word come from? Sure. Um, so there are actually 613 rules oh my. in the okay. Hebrew scriptures. <laughs> yeah. uh, and the vast majority of them are about for all people. And there are a lot more rules for straight relationships than there are for gay relationships. This is the only one of the 613 that's stretched to be used against gay people. And 
you know, one of the things that I think is interesting, if, if gay sex were so important to God, I think that it would include women, too. But in this scripture, it's only men. And, you know, people look at that and they say, oh, well, that's just because it was a patriarchal society. And so when they talked about men, they also met women. And, you know, that that it's, it's supposed to be about all gay people, but even though it only includes men. But then you read the very next verse. That's 1822 is where it talks about men lying with men. In 1823, it says, and you shall not lie with any animal and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal. So it's clear that the writer knew that women had sex lives. So it wasn't, it had something specific to do with this particular kind of male sex that was important to the author. And so then the question for me is like, so then what was it about, you know? What were they worried about? Right. And that's when I look at the context and I look at the verse right before it. The verse right before it says, you shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech and so profane the name of your God. Okay. You know, we're going to have to stop for a uh, break and then we'll be back. We've been talking with Reverend Tyler Connolly about the Bible and homosexuality. Okay, we're back with Gender Trouble, and we're speaking with Reverend Tyler Connolly, and we have been having a, a really interesting talk, and right now we're talking about Leviticus, and what does Leviticus really say about condemning uh, homosexual relationships? And remember, we're talking about modern loving relationships between people of the same sex. We're not talking about, you know, abuse or or rape or, or, you know, uh, soldiers, you know, shaming other people or anything. We're talking about loving relationships. So what does the Bible actually say about that? So we were talking about Leviticus chapter 18 and Molech. Do you know who Molech was? Well, I know they sacrificed babies to Molech. That's the only <laughs> thing I know about it. <laughs> yes. Uh, Molech was one of the gods who was worshipped by the people that... So the people who the Bible was written for, the Hebrew people, were surrounded by other nations who had other gods besides the god that the Hebrews worshipped. And... I have to say that archaeology, some of the things that that the people who wrote the Bible believed things about their neighbor nations that may or may not have been true. But one of the things that they believed about their neighbor nations was that they, in their worship of Molech, that they sacrificed children and to in a fire to Molech. And that the idea was that you you burn your firstborn child and then... If you burn your firstborn child, then Molech will give you more children, and you'll have healthy children because you you burned up your first child. Now archaeologists say, well, maybe they actually just like passed the children between two fires, and that it was a symbolic burning, that it wasn't actually yeah. child sacrifice. But the people in the Bible believed that child sacrifice was going on. And they also knew that in the temples around them, that some of the things that happened in the temples were that men had sex with men, that in some of the temples there was sex with animals, that these kinds of things were going on as ways of worshiping gods. 
And so it makes sense then when you read Leviticus chapter 18 and you see these three things right next to each other, that you shall not sacrifice your children to Moloch, you shall not have sex with men, and you shall not have sex with animals, that they were thinking that these were all things that were happening in the temples around them. The other thing that I think is important about this passage is that if you understand what people at that time believed about the way babies were made, they believed that women were an incubator for children, that the men produced the children, put them in the women, the women were an incubator. When the child was big enough, then it popped out, but that the women didn't have any role in it except to be an incubator. The man planted his seed in the woman, and then the seed grew into a baby, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) So if you have sex with a temple prostitute, you're sacrificing your children to the God. And so it makes sense when you read the sacrifice to Molech and the prohibition against sex with temple prostitutes right next to each other, that what they were saying was, don't sacrifice your children on the altar of gods. That's what they believed was happening. Yeah. That when you went and had sex with a temple prostitute or a priest of a, you know, a male priest of the God, that you were sacrificing your children to that God in the same way as if you had burnt them on an altar. And again, this is one of those passages that I think has been taken and twisted and used for exactly the opposite thing. Because how many of our LGBT children are sacrificed on the altars of a false god? You know, I just said a little bit ago that 40% of homeless teens, homeless youth and young adults are LGBT. LGBT people make up maybe 10% of the population, depending on the study, but we're 40% of the homeless youth because so many people are sacrificing children to their gods. And it's exactly what God was prohibiting in Leviticus chapter 18, the sacrifice of children. Hmm. So where does that word abomination oh, then come yes, from? Yes, you had yes. asked that and yeah. I missed it. Yeah. So that word really means unclean or not holy, profane. And things like pork is an abomination and shellfish are an abomination. And there are all kinds of things that are considered to be abomination that we no longer think are, you know, a big deal. So it really has to do with the sacred and the profane and things that are holy to our God and that are disliked by our God. Um, and, and they really had to do those, those things had to do with the things that, that separated us from other people that set us apart. And for Christians, that setting apart doesn't have to do with what we eat or what we wear, but it has to do with how we treat people. The thing that sets us apart is they will know we are Christians by our love. Right, and so I think you could use that example of all those things that are abominations that are used in Leviticus and so on. 
it's an Old Testament, and so they're not eat shellfish, not to do all those things. Well, in the New Testament, God made it clear, and so did Jesus, that remember when the the sheet God lowered a sheet down to Peter, and it had all the different animals in it, and right. God said, eat. Peter said, I can't eat those. Some of those are, you know, abominations. Right. <laughs> And God said, no, eat. And it took, I think, God had to tell him three times because he had such a prohibition against it. But then he got the message that it was the New Testament and the freedom that Jesus talked about was different than the Old Testament where there were laws and prohibitions. It doesn't mean that you have license, but it meant that what God created is not for us to condemn. Right. And that's, you know, that's a big part of what we talk about in the third chapter of our book. In chapter three is where we talk about how did Jesus approach biblical rules? Because there are 613 rules and Jesus was Jewish. And so how did Jesus approach the rules that he came across? And when Jesus came across a rule, his way of approaching it was to look for what was compassionate and to look for what was loving. And there were times when he threw out rules because in the circumstances, in the moment, it would have been less loving to hold on to that rule than to enforce it. Yeah. So that's the lesson about, you know, almost everything where so many modern people are condemning people right and left and not seeing their humanity. I mean, Jesus spoke to the Moabs, but yet we have people now who want to close our borders to all of the Muslims. And the Muslims would be very similar to the Moabites in a way. There are people from a, another place who are looking for a sanctuary and instead of offering it, they want to close the borders. Right. You know, another one that people talk about is, uh, and it's used all the time, I mean, there's laws against sodomy. So mm -hmm. the sodomy laws are based on Sodom and Gomorrah. But upon reading it, you realize it really has nothing to do about what we're talking about. Maybe you could go into that a little bit. Yeah, and actually, I think that Sodom and Gomorrah connects really well to our conversations around immigration right now because so the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were told that they were wealthy and that they didn't care about the poor, that they cared more about themselves and about keeping themselves well-fed and well-kept. And God got upset about the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and sent two angels to check them out to see, you know, what are these people like? Do they need to be destroyed or can I let them keep going. And, um, and when the angels showed up, Lot, who was Abraham's nephew and was an immigrant to Sodom and Gomorrah, saw the two angels in the city square and came to them and was like, this is not a good idea. You should not be here. And, um, and they said, no, no, we'll be fine. We'll stay here for the night. And he said, no, really, it's not safe for you here. Come and stay with me and brought them to his house. And so then the end of the story is that all of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah came to the and surrounded Lot's house and threatened violence against the angels. Lot then 
tried to appease them by offering them his daughters. Which is rather... Which is... <laughs> when you read yeah. that, you go, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why yeah. would he do such a yeah. thing? And so you have to yeah. really kind of Which is question. Horrifying. Yeah, you have to question yes. what's going on. Yeah. And then the people said, no, we're going to break down and we're going to... And we're going to... Um, kill the angels, rape them, and we're going to do worse to you. And then the angels blinded everyone. Um, they got Lot and his family out of the city, and then God destroyed the city. And Lot's wife looked back. That's, yes. always, every, that's the yeah. only part everybody remembers. <laughs> then, then Lot's wife looked, yeah. turned into a pillar of salt. <laughs> yeah. and, and the story is a story about welcoming the stranger and about our how we relate to people who are not like us. And it's a prohibition. It's really a story to say, don't be like these people who are so monstrously evil to the outsider. And again, you know, we Christians use this story to be monstrously evil to people that we don't like, um, to gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people. We're going to stop here. been talking with Reverend Tyler Connolly, and we will return shortly. Okay, we're back with Gender Trouble, and we've been, of all things, we're talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, and what does Sodom and Gomorrah have to do with today? And so Reverend Tyler Connolly, who was kind enough to come on our program, is talking to us about it. So I think it's easy to hate the Sodomites, and we look at them and are like, how could anybody possibly be as bad as they are? But we forget that... The story that we always remember is Genesis chapter 19. But in Genesis chapter 14, the kings of Sodom agree to go and help the kings of another place attack the kings of the north. And it turns out that this is a wild goose chase, or maybe it's a trap, I don't know. But while the kings of Sodom are off trying to wage war, the kings of the north sweep down into Sodom and Gomorrah and carry everybody off. They take all of the women, all of the old men, all of the children, and they carry them off into slavery. Who knows what kind of violence they suffer? Who knows what kinds of terrible things happen to them, right? Abraham comes along and saves the people of Sodom from the kings of the north captures them back and sends them back to their city. But they are now living with this trauma that they've experienced. I think that Genesis chapter 14 is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah's 9-11, that they experienced the kind of trauma that we experienced in 9-11. And so then when Lot and the angels, when the angels show up in Genesis 19... The people of Sodom and Gomorrah, they probably think this is a terrorist cell. These are, mm. you know, who knows what kind of things this foreigner lot, he's a new guy, he's an immigrant, and now there's these two other guys who just show up out of nowhere. And so they're actually afraid for their lives. And I think that we have seen the same kind of things going on. I, we live in Sodom and Gomorrah. We live in a time and a place where we have all kinds of, of wealth and we have all kinds of things that, that keep us comfortable. And we have had this trauma. And our response because of that trauma to immigrants is to want to do violence to them, 
to walk the streets with machine guns outside mosques and to slam our borders shut to refugees. All of these things that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were doing are the same kinds of things that we're doing. And and I actually now have a sympathy for them in a way that I never had before when I realized what had happened to them in Genesis chapter 14 and why it was that they were so monstrously evil in chapter 19. And I think it's a it's a reminder for us of how easy it is to get into that place. Well, they also wasn't just about strangers, but I and I, I forget what book it is in the New Testament. Is it Jude where it talks about the uh, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? But it talks about that it was a failure to take care of widows and orphans, which is sort of a Yes, kind that's of actually a code word for the poor and the and the people that are needy, and we see that in our country also. The right. failure to to take care of our we have people tremendous amount of homeless people and uh, and poor people and, and people living you know at a uh, below a uh, living wage and trying to to get by, and so we're doing a lot of similar things. So it's, it wasn't just that particular one. It, it was a general idea that people were more comfortable with their way of life and didn't want it disrupted. Yes. The prophet Ezekiel says, your sister Sodom and Gomorrah, they had great wealth and they oppressed the, the poor and the orphan and the widow. And that is certainly what one of the things that we do in our society also, when Jesus, Jesus talked about Sodom and Gomorrah, Jesus never talked about homosexuality. And there's nothing that Jesus ever said that has been able to be construed to be about. There's no clobber passages in the Gospels. But Jesus referred to Sodom and Gomorrah in Matthew chapter 10 when he told his disciples, go out and don't take anything with you. Just go out and see who takes you in. And if somebody takes you in, then let your peace be upon them. But if people don't take you in, then it will be worse for them than for Sodom and Gomorrah. And again, it's a reminder of that. How do we treat the stranger? How do we treat the poor? How do we treat people who are different from us, people who come to us who are needy? That's when we really find out whether we're Sodomites or not. Yeah, and that's an interesting one then. That's the very one that people use more than almost any other, maybe Leviticus, but also the Sodom and Gomorrah the term sodomite, it means in people's minds, it means about the most evil thing somebody could be, but it's not talking about the strangers and it's not talking <laughs> right. about the, it's talking about the people that actually lived in the town. Right. And uh, so it's sort of backwards. Yeah. So the, the people that are in need are called sodomites, but really it was the town, the people in the town itself were the sodomites. Yeah. yeah it's just, it's yeah. like Moabite or Hittite or, yeah. you know any other kind of ite. It's just the person from Sodom is a sodomite. Right. The person who lives in Sodom. Right. And so it just sort of got twisted tremendously. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that the people who use that verse against their gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender sisters and brothers are the people who are committing the sin of Sodom. They are the people who are doing violence to strangers who are othering. Another place it says, be kind to strangers for many have have welcomed angels in disguise. Yes. But I think if that angel is 
gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender, or doesn't fit our gender norms, then many in our society push them out. Yeah. Romans was a big one, you know, in the one in Romans where it talks about trading natural relations for unnatural. Yeah, Romans. And I've had that one used against me by people, and, and it's, uh, it's a little more difficult to deal with because the, uh, the language is a little more obscure. And I have it here on page 12. Right. Romans is difficult because, because you really have to be able to read Paul. You know, Paul was a very educated Greek person, Roman citizen, who had studied Greek philosophy and had studied Greek um, rhetoric. And, and the way that he writes and the way that he thinks is so different from the way that we write and the way that we think today. And so, and so you really have to read Romans 1 and 2 and 3 and all the way to the end to really get his whole message. And, and you can't really pull one little piece out and then have it make sense. But that's what we try to do because, you know, that we like sound bites and, and <laughs> that's, that's how we live. We, don't, we aren't in a society that's, that thinks in terms of these long cases that are built and sort of build on themselves. But, but you can look at Romans chapter 1 and read just that section and see, you know, what was it? What was the point that he was trying to make in this particular section? Who was he talking about? And for me, Romans 1 is never a problem because let me tell you a little bit about how I came out to myself. I was, okay. yes. I was raised in a fundamentalist Christian family, evangelical Christian, really. And it wasn't part of my worldview that men could be attracted to women. Like it just, it didn't even occur to me that that was possible. I knew that I wasn't, I mean, that men could be attracted to men. I knew that I wasn't attracted to women, but I figured that I was just asexual because it just didn't, it, like, I wouldn't allow myself to think about men in that way. So I had been dating a girl, and we had been seeing each other, but we, we were at that place in the relationship where you, you have to either, you have to label the relationship. You either say, we're dating or we're just friends, but we can't keep just hanging out together, right? And so we were at that place in our relationship, and I was, um, it was Christmas break, I was in college, and I decided that I was going to pray about this relationship, whether or not I should be dating this girl. And as I was praying about, you know, this girl and whether she was the one that I should be dating, and I heard a voice, and this voice said to me, you can't date her. You like boys. <laughs> and, and it was a complete revelation and a complete shock. And all of a sudden, everything made sense. I was like, oh, that's why when I'm around cute boys, I act that way. And that like, like everything all of a sudden made sense to me. So in Romans chapter one, Paul builds this case for people who have shunned God. And, you know, he's, he's saying they did this, to, they built, made idols, and they hated God, and they replaced God with other gods. And, and then because of all of this, then God gave them over to unnatural relations. 
And for me, when I came out to myself, I came out to myself because I had a vision, an auditory vision of God speaking to me. I was praying. I was a good Christian boy at a Christian university. And I wasn't the person that Paul is talking about, this person who hated God and rejected God and went his own way and was doing his own thing and only cared about himself. I was really, truly seeking God's will for my life. And so Romans was never a problem for me for that reason. Because for you, it was a natural relation. Right. Right. It wasn't an unnatural. It would be an unnatural relationship if a heterosexual person uh, was forced into a same-sex relationship. That would be unnatural. Right. So that's why, for me, it, it wasn't actually until I wrote the book that I even spent a lot of time with Romans chapter 1, because it was just so clear to me that this was not about me. And one, just a little aside, one of the things that Paul does in this is, is that he, he's talking about those people over there, those people, they do this, and they do that, and they do this, and they do that. And, and he's really trying to get the reader into this place, which many people go to um, when they read this passage, of, you know, othering and hating the other person. But if you read on to chapter 2, In chapter 2, he says, you know what? You are just like them. Okay. We're going to come back to this. I can't even think of anything to say because I'm so excited about uh, (laughs) listening to this. But uh, we are going to stop for a break, and then we'll be back with Gender Trouble. Okay, we're back with Gender Trouble, and we're talking with Reverend Tyler Connolly, and we've been talking about Romans, and we've been talking about what actually is a natural or an unnatural relation. Well, I've been learning a lot, and so I'm going to just let Tyler talk more, because I'm really (laughs) learning here. So one of the questions is, so what is Paul talking about when he's talking about unnatural and natural relations? And I think that one of the things that, and this is not actually in the book because I, I learned this later because um, I continue to do research. I, can, I did a speaking tour and, you know, um, when the book came out. But in Romans, Paul was writing from Corinth. He was living in Corinth. And in Corinth, there were two temples that he would have been able to see from his house. They were like the big temples in Corinth. And in those temples, now I have to say, if you have children who are listening, maybe you should probably like tune out for a little bit, Um, (laughs) but because they're going to get a little bit graphic. So there were these two temples. One of them was the temple to Aphrodite and the other temple was the temple to Sibylle. Now, do you know anything about Sibylle? I don't at all. I know Aphrodite um, is a goddess of love know, and you stuff, should but know I should about know about Sibylle. Sibylle. Because <laughs> the Sibylline prophets were transgender. Whoa. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that at all. Yes. So um, what would happen is that people who had been assigned male at birth who wanted to live as women would go to the temple of Sibylle and would dedicate themselves to Sibylle. They would castrate themselves. That was one of the things that they had to do. 
and then after they castrated themselves, then they would run through the city naked, and they would go house to house begging clothing, and they would get female clothing, and then they would live as women for the rest of their lives, and they would live as prophetess, as prophets, as um, priestesses in the temple of Sibylle. I could probably do that. I, think. I mean, it would be a little bit. Running through the streets is the hardest part, I think. But, but I could probably do that. So, in um, and then the um, Temple of Aphrodite, they had the Vestal Virgins, and so their priestesses were the Virgin priestesses. Now, in both temples, as I understand it people had sex with the priestesses, okay? So if you're going to have sex with the priestesses of Sibylle, then the kind of sex that you're going to have is anal sex, okay? okay. <laughs> this is why I said that the children should probably not be listening. <laughs> so if you're going to have sex with a vestal virgin and she has to keep her virginity, what kind of sex are you going to have? The same kind. <laughs> the same <yes>. kind. <laughs> and Paul was very troubled by this. I think it's very clear when you read Paul that he, he was very troubled by any kind of anal sex. Like it made him unhappy and uncomfortable. And so when he, writing in Corinth, in the shadow of these two temples, wrote in Romans... And what he says is, men traded unnatural relations for relations with each other, and women likewise traded natural relations for unnatural. Not with women, but natural for unnatural. He doesn't say that they were having sex with women. He says the men were having sex with men, the women were having unnatural sex. I think that what he was so worried about and what he was so upset about was the sex that was going on in the temples in Corinth. And that he believed that these people who had given up the real God and who were going their own way, that God had given them over to these things that they were doing in these temples in Corinth. And I think if, if God really cared about homosexual relationships, if God really cared about gay relationships, then God would care about relationships with men with men and relationships women with women. If this, this is the only passage in the Bible that could possibly be construed to be about lesbianism, and it's not. And so, so really, if you're a lesbian, none of the clobber passages even apply to you. You're, a, you're in luck. Um, <laughs> and, and if you're a man, I don't think they apply to you either because they're all about these things like temple prostitution and child sacrifice and, you know, raping strangers and things like that. Yeah, it has Which, nothing in, in every case that's cited. It has nothing to do with two men or two women falling in love, wanting to spend their life together, perhaps adopt children and make a family. Right. And, right. Uh, and we've had plenty of examples through history of people that have done this and, and lived beautiful lives. Right. Um, so. Yeah. And in fact, there are passages in the Bible that I believe affirm gay relationships. So the book that we wrote was about same-sex relationships, and we were very clear that gender identity and sexual orientation are completely different topics. And so we didn't talk about trans issues at all in our book. But in my master's thesis, I talked about 
eunuchs in the Hebrew scriptures, and I think that some of the eunuchs in the Hebrew scriptures should be thought of as as trans characters. And, and I think in particular, there is a hero in the book of Esther without whom all of the Jewish people would have been killed. And the reason they weren't killed is because there was a trans person who could, who was needed to save their lives. And I hope that next week we can talk about well, more I, of the positive. Well, and, and, and I would like to talk about, uh, we didn't talk about Ruth and Naomi, and I really wanted yes. to. And so I was so fascinated with and Jonathan your, and David. And Jonathan and David, which I want to talk about how David, how, you know, King Saul is scolding Jonathan at the table. And it sounds like the way kids talk about their parents talking about their own lives. I mean, it was interesting. And so... We're kind of getting down on time, mm-hmm. and, and I know that you're going to be leaving us, leaving Silver City, which yes. I think it's tragic, it's tragic. <laughs> yes. So can you talk a little bit about uh, where you are a pastor and, yes. and how many times uh, you have left that we could come and hear you? Yes, and I have to say that our little church is thriving, and they're going to continue to thrive after I'm gone. Part of me being able to feel like I could leave is that Silver City United Church of Christ is in a good place and and will continue on. But we meet at the Women's Club. It's that big white building, the Santa yes. Fe style. And um, we meet at 11.11 in the morning. <laughs> on <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we chose 11.11 because it's just a fun time. And yeah, it's right. easy to remember. So we meet at 11.11 a.m. at the Women's Club. And I will be preaching there for two more Sundays. This Sunday is the last Sunday of Advent. It's the last Sunday before Christmas. And I'm going to talk about peace on earth and how we try to achieve peace on earth and participate with God in doing that. And then the following Sunday is my last Sunday on the 27th. And then in the afternoon that day, we're going to have a open house for me from two to four at the women's club that everybody in the community is invited to. Yeah, well, you've been here a long time, and you're a part of this community. Yeah, January uh, 1st will be 12 years. Wow, yeah. yeah. And uh, we have a little bit more time left, and, and so we didn't talk about talk about a lot of things. And uh, so next week, when you're going to be back, yes, we can go into some of the passages about eunuchs and, some mm-hmm. of the, and the relationships. That seem clearly, as after I read your book, were clearly uh, same-sex relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty hard not to see that David and Jonathan were you know, terribly in love. I mean, yeah. it was passion. It yeah. was there was passion and a lot written about that. Yeah, you know, I want to say just one other thing about the clobber passages because I know that there are people who may still, you know, like First Corinthians, there's a passage there that no one's quite sure exactly what those words mean. And so people are like, well, maybe it means that maybe it talks about gay sex. Maybe that's what it's talking about. And where I have come to is that God is love. Right. And that God wants us to be in healthy, happy relationships and wants our families to be strong and healthy. And if there is a verse in the Bible that causes us to hate our children or to throw our family out or to do those kind of evil things, then really 
the law of love calls us to rethink that passage. Right. That's that's what that, my conclusion. After two years of studying, I I said to the people I know, if there's discussion about this and there's some debate, wouldn't it be better to err on the side of grace? Yes. You know, if you're going, well, I'm not sure what that says, and maybe that's condemning, and maybe it isn't, but isn't love come first? I mean, shouldn't yes. we then err on the side of grace? And, yes. and, and that's that, sort of what carries me. Yeah, and that is the overarching story of the Bible. The overarching story of the Bible is a story of love and a story of grace. And the thing that Jesus called us to do was to love our neighbor as ourself, to love our enemies even. Right. You know, I had a a friend who was a rabbi who said, I'm really glad I'm not a Christian because Jesus asked you to love your enemies and I don't have to. (laughs) But, you know, that's, that's one of the things that, like, that keeps me in the faith is the fact that he called us to love and that that is a challenge that continues on. Well, that's a, that's why I still love Jesus, because he loves me. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he was the person who always put love first. And so that's it for Gender Trouble today. We had Tyler, Reverend Tyler Connolly, and we've had a very interesting talk. And please be back here uh, next Thursday from 4 to 5 continuation of this program, really, but we're going to talk more about uh, transgender people and uh, transgender people in the Bible, and a little more about same-sex relationships. So please come back and, and see you. This is Gender Trouble. <laughs>